0: Well, as always, it is a joy to be here, and thank you for that. We, you know, it's just neat to to see what God is doing and see how he's leading, how he's working in your church, how he worked in our church over the last year and a half as we've sought a pastor, and uh, it's been nice to be a small part of uh, of just hopefully encouraging and and supporting and building y'all up, and as y'all move forward, as as God calls someone here, uh, and as you make other decisions, be assured of our prayers uh, that God will direct you and lead you and move you in just the right way. Well, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We ask that in these next few minutes, you would just quiet our hearts and our minds, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and hands and feet and mouths to go and do and speak. And Father, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're just continuing on in Luke. and. No, no telling what what's going to happen in the future. But should your pastor, when you call him, need a vacation, and you call me back over to fill the pulpit, next time we'll just be in the next part of Luke. So, so just you know, hang in there. So. The disciple and prayer, You know, up, up until this point, uh, the focus has been on Jesus building his disciple, uh, uh, disciples on the very concepts that are involved in being a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. And now we come to, I think, one of the most, if not the most, important aspect of discipleship as a, a, of all, and that is prayer. There we go. My slides aren't working on my iPad. There we go. When I was a young Christian, I was uh, somewhat indirectly influenced by a man, uh, an evangelist, revivalist, named A.A. Allen. Now, I knew nothing about him personally, but, uh, uh, you'll, well, I'll explain my connection with him uh, in, in a bit. But A.A. A. Allen uh, said a number of things And you probably can't even read that. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But the the last paragraph is, make this your testimony. God says, it is done. I believe it. It is done. It is finished. I am healed because God, who cannot lie, declares that I am healed. Uh, Allen had a healing and uh, miracle ministry. The bottom paragraph of that one says, it is the will of Satan, not the will of God, for people to be sick. This is a proven fact, for when Satan is banished from the earth, there will be no more sickness, pain, or tears. God wants us to live, not die. The essence of A.A. Of Allen's message was often uh, somewhat a predecessor to what we now know as prosperity theology. And that's, you know, just stand on God's word, claim it. And it's yours. What influenced me by A.A. Allen when I was a very young Christian was a book he wrote called Command Ye Me. And he based that book on Isaiah 45, 11, a statement in there where God says, concerning the works of my hands, command ye me. And as a very young Christian, I read that book and, and what I got from it and really the essence of the book. And the message was be in God's face, tell him what to do. you command God He says in Isaiah, command ye me. Now in the ensuing years, as you begin to read Isaiah 4511 in other translations you'll find that's not what God's saying uh, and as a matter of fact, it's a question that is addressing the Israelites and addressing their arrogance. In fact, the Net Bible says, how dare you tell me what to do? So A.A. Allen, nevertheless, influenced me very strongly. I remember reading that and being convinced that I can tell God what to do. And I prayed, and I tried to, you know, I, I've worn these since I was 10 years old. And so I said, okay, God, heal me. And I would look around at, you know, I can't see two feet in front of my face without these things. So I tried it again, heal me. Yeah, as you can tell, uh, that didn't work. Um, but I had a, at least for some time, a very in-your-face attitude toward God. You might call it chutzpah, Okay. Uh, Thankfully, I'm still alive to tell the story. (laughs) Years later in my Christian life, many years later, I was influenced by another man. Anybody recognize that face? Nope, nope, no. One of the greatest examples of faith and prayer that has ever lived. His name was George Mueller. George Mueller said things that were in some respects very similar to what A.A. Allen said. You probably can't read that either, but I don't know. I can't read it. Uh, if, in, if you believe indeed... <laughs> my eyes again, in the Lord Jesus for the salvation of your soul. If you walk uprightly and do not regard iniquity in your heart, if you continue to wait patiently and believingly upon God, then answers will surely be given to your prayers. I like this one. Expect great things from God and great things you will have. Now, if you don't know who George Mueller was, don't get through this next week without at least going online and reading his story. George Mueller was—he uh, was from Bavaria, but you know, he, a long story about how he came became a Christian and all that. But he he moved to London, lived in Bristol, and he had a passion. To communicate to people that God answers prayer. And so George Mueller started an orphanage in his home. But unlike what is common today, and that is if you start a ministry, you go out and raise support and you ask people to donate, George Mueller started this orphanage and committed from the very beginning not to ask anybody for money to not send out a prayer letter. Well, he sent, I, I think he sent out a prayer letters, maybe. But he didn't ever ask for funds. He didn't say, hey, we need $5,000 or these poor orphans are going to go hungry. Never once did he do that. Now, I'll tell you the end of his story later. But that leads us into the subject of prayer, which is what the focus is today. You know, prayer is one of those subjects that sometimes we can talk a lot about we can analyze we can we can you know explore we can talk about every aspect of prayer but often when it comes down to the nitty gritty of praying at least in my experience i often find that my prayers at times seem to be powerless i don't See answers. In fact, I was reading a, a, um, a, a blog post written by an atheist some time ago, and one of the things that he pointed at as an excuse or as an argument against the existence of God, uh, and this, this atheist had come out of evangelical Christianity, had turned his back on the faith, but his, his, what he focused on as an argument against the existence of God was unanswered prayer. And how often do we pray and we pray and we pray and we never see answers? Well, that's the focus today as we go into Luke. And we look at a very short but a very powerful passage. In chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he stopped, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So the disciples see Jesus praying. They obviously saw that a lot. And one of them says, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, it's very possible they weren't really asking to really know about prayer as much as they were wanting something that was very common back then. Uh, If you followed a certain teacher, often that teacher would sort of give you a, a prayer that set you apart as one of his followers. And so it's likely they were asking, hey, John gave his disciples a prayer, you know, a kind of a cool John the Baptist prayer. You know, why don't you give us a Jesus prayer? Teach us so that we're identified as your disciples. Teach us to pray. Well, they got a little different answer than they expected, I think. first time I saw that slide, I thought it was prayer LOL. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) prayer LOL. Oh, oh, okay, prayer 101, the disciples' (laughs) prayer. Jesus gives them instructions on prayer, but... They're a little different, perhaps, than what they expected. Now, he starts with a model prayer, and it's one that we're all very, very familiar with, and we're actually not going to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, Particularly in Luke's gospel, it's a very, very simple, basic prayer. Matthew tends to expand it a bit and, and add parallelism and all sorts of good stuff. Luke gives us, I believe, the bare bones. So he said to them, when you pray, Father, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And do not lead us into temptation. So Jesus gives them a basic framework for prayer. And it's really, again, very basic. Father, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. Two prayers that look toward God. Three that look toward ourselves. Give us each day our daily bread. Basic needs. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. You know, we don't like that second phrase. You know, we we want the forgiveness part. We don't want to have to forgive other people. You know, don't ask for forgiveness if you're not willing to forgive other people. And do not lead us into temptation. Basic needs. Daily bread. Forgiveness, protection. So that's what we're instructed to pray for. God's glory, may your name be hallowed, may your name be honored. God's kingdom, may your kingdom come. God's provision, oh God, take care of our needs. God's forgiveness. God, I can't stand before you apart from your forgiveness and your grace in Jesus Christ, and God's protection. And boy, do we need that today. Like more than ever, don't lead us into temptation. Now, it's not like God's going to deliberately lead you into temptation, but the point is recognizing your vulnerability in this world and saying, God, don't let me go into a situation where I will turn against you. So he gives them a model prayer, very simple, very basic model prayer. And and I don't believe that it was intended to be a rote prayer that, you know, we just recite that every day. There's nothing wrong with reciting it, but I don't think that was the intent. The intent was to give just the bare bones. But then Jesus expands a bit. He gives them not just a model prayer, but he gives them a parable because he wants them to understand not just the words, because there's nothing particularly magical about the words. It's the intent and the attitude that you come to prayer with. And so he gives them this little parable, verses 5 through 8. He said, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine has stopped, uh, stopped here while on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, everybody in his hearing would instantly have connected with that illustration. Remember, last time I was here, we talked about Mary and Martha and how important hospitality was. You know, it, I don't even think we can comprehend in our culture how crucial it was for you to show hospitality. If somebody came to your house at midnight and you didn't roll out the red carpet, it was a shame on you. It was not only a shame on you, it was a shame on your whole community, your whole village. So Jesus sets up the scenario. He says, okay, you've got a friend and somebody has showed up at your house at midnight, the cupboard is bare, you don't have anything, and so you go over to your friend's house and you knock at the door and you say, please lend me three loaves of bread. Somebody's come by, 7-Eleven is closed, no it isn't. Uh, you know, they didn't have a 7-Eleven, they didn't have somewhere that they could go and just you know, get food. Give me some bread so that I can set something before him. Well, we can identify with the friend, even though the cultures are different. And when he comes to my house at midnight asking for three loaves of bread, I'm not going to be particularly pleased. He will reply from the inside, "Don't bother me. The door is already shut, and my children, uh, you know, are, are and I are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything." Now, if you, if if, if you. Kind of grab the layout of a, a first-century average Palestinian house, uh, you can understand, because that's a general layout as to as to how they were uh, set up. You, know, you had the courtyard, and down there were where you kept the kitchen and or the kitchen. Well, there's the kitchen and the ducks and the sheep and the goats and all that. You likely would have slept up here on a roll-out mat. So if somebody comes to your door at midnight. You're upstairs, the mat is rolled down, everybody's sleeping. For you to answer that request, you've got to get up, step over however many children you have and your wife, and then you've got to go down the ladder. you got to go into the kitchen, get the loaves. You're going to wake the whole household up. It's not just a matter of, you know, that's eh, not real convenient for me to get up. You're going to wake the whole household. It's going to be a major event. So you can understand why the friend isn't going to be too excited about dealing with that. But then Jesus gives us the punchline. He says, I tell you, even though the man inside will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of the first man's sheer persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs." So he said, you know, even if these guys living in the same community were not particularly buddies, he's going to get up and he's going to give him what he needs. Why? That word, sheer persistence, sometimes it's just translated persistence, depending on the translation you have. If you have the old King James, it's importunity. The word has the connotation of shamelessness. Not just persistence, but shameless persistence, chutzpah. Again, you're knocking at the door, and you're not going to quit. The guy yells out, go away. I'm in bed. I don't want to get up. You don't care. You're going to keep knocking. You're going to keep asking. You're going to keep seeking because this is a need that must be met. A friend is at my house, and I will be in utter shame if I don't take care of that friend. I'm going to keep knocking. And so the friend gets up. And then Jesus gives a principle. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And he who knocks, the door is opened. So Jesus has given him a model prayer. But then he says, this is the character I want you to have in prayer. I want you to be bold. Not arrogant, not, I'm going to boss you around, God. But I want you to be bold in prayer. Ask, and keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. Too often I stop just after the first ask. And then Jesus gives them an illustration. Because that's only half of the picture. That's one side of the coin. That's our side of the coin. It's ask, seek, knock. That's our side. Now he's going to give you God's side. And it's a wonderful illustration. It's an illustration that is designed to be absolutely absurd. He says, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, you will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, we'll give a scorpion. Yeah, think about it. You know, come by and say, Dad, I'm hungry. You know, I need I need a piece of fish. Hey, here's a dead rattler. (laughs) You can have that. I like that one. Dad, I asked for eggs! Sorry, baby, all we have is snake and scorpion. You know, That's not how God works. You know, he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good things, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He says, you you know, you guys are evil. We've got a granddaughter, I showed their picture last time, you know. You know, I get to feed her occasionally. She starts crying. She wants to eat, like right now. And when she starts saying, I I want my bottle, I don't go fill the bottle up with a bottle of dill pickle juice and give it to her. You know, I'm evil. I'm fallen. But that little girl got me wrapped around her finger. And whatever she asks, I'm going to give. He said, I want my bottle. Okay, I want my diaper changed. Go see Grandma. (laughs) If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Two sides of the coin. Ask, seek, knock. Be bold. Come before God. Bring your needs to Him. Paul didn't say... You know, in in Philippians, don't be anxious for anything, but, you know, you can go ahead and ask a few things. He said in everything, with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Hebrews says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you might find mercy and grace to help in time of need. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Three principles in prayer. One, keep it simple. this is cliche, I know, but prayer is not rocket science. There's no magical formula. There's no particular order in which you need to do things. There's no particular set of words. It is a cry of the heart to God. It is a cry of a child to its father. Keep it simple. Go to God with your needs. Be bold. Be bold. There's kind of a pendulum swing that I've noticed in my life and and in Christianity in general. Two extremes. There's the one extreme that says, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to have material things. God wants you to have that Cadillac. Personally, I think that's a lie. I don't think that's the intent of the scripture. And I don't think that's the heart of God. But the other side of the coin, not the other side of the coin, but the other side of the pendulum swing, is we so often, who are not part of that particular mindset, are so afraid that we might somehow lapse into prosperity theology, we're afraid to ask for anything. We're afraid to be bold. We're afraid to come before God and say, Father, this is what I need. Be bold in your prayers. Third, be expectant. You see, that's the attitude that is described in those parables, or in the the, the illustrations about the snake and the scorpion. God wants to answer your prayers. He is your Heavenly Father. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to be involved in your life and in the corporate life of this body. But I can't tell you how many times I've prayed prayers and in the back of my mind said, God really isn't going to answer this. And often in His Amazing, wonderful grace and mercy. He has answered it in spite of me, not because of me. Be expectant. Now I want to go back to the two men I started with. Because those two men, even though they had in many respects said some of the same things, went very, very different ways. Sadly, A.A. A. Allen died in 1970. From an alcohol overdose. He was found in a motel room surrounded by empty liter- liquor bottles, and there were pills, and his blood alcohol was 0. 0.36. And I'm not judging, but I am contrasting. George Miller died at 92 after he had started five orphanages, touched the lives of over 10,000 orphans, started schools, well over 100 schools, that touched the lives of another 100,000 orphans. His orphanages still are in operation today. He died in the late 1800s. What was the difference? Again. I'm reaching back into my own background. I came to faith in the charismatic movement in the early days of prosperity theology. It wasn't really as developed as it is today. But that was my life for years. I left that life. And one of the reasons I left was not because of the theology or speaking in tongues or healing or stuff like that. One of the reasons I left was because I perceived in the churches that I was attending an unhealthy emphasis on materialism, on opulence, on money, on possessions, on prosperity. And as I read the scripture, that was not what I saw. When I found George Mueller, I found a man who said, I have joyfully dedicated my whole life to the object of exemplifying how much may be accomplished by prayer and faith. Well, what was the difference between him and A.A. A. Allen? The difference was the focus and the intent. George Mueller, his focus was that way. It was others. It was out. Sadly, the emphasis in most prosperity theology is me. God wants me to be prosperous. God wants me to be healthy. God wants me to have this and that and the other thing. No, he doesn't. God wants to be glorified. But as your father, he wants you also to glorify him and he can be glorified as he works in your life through answered prayer. George Mueller also said this. If I, a a poor man, Simply by prayer and faith. Remember, he never asked for a penny. Obtained without asking any individual the means for establishing and carrying on an orphan house, then this would provide visible proof that God is faithful still and hears prayers still. Mueller's passion was expressed in orphanages, but his true passion was to show the world God answers prayer. And he still answers prayer. As a church, you're facing a lot of decisions. God answers prayer. He hasn't, you know, God is not the laissez-faire God of, uh, of the, uh, just lost the theological term, but it doesn't matter anyway. God hasn't gone off on vacation. He didn't just set everything in motion and say, "Okay, y'all, take it from here. He is intimately involved in our lives. The thing, you know, when we, we moved into the country about 20 plus years ago, and I became infatuated with astronomy, just because we could actually see stars out where we lived. And over the years, I've learned that astronomers have explored our universe, as far as they can see. And there are not only trillions of stars. There are, in all likelihood, trillions of galaxies with trillions of stars. And that's just as far as we can see. Who knows how much farther it goes. The God who created that incredible universe is not only greater than that. Universe. He is infinitely greater than that universe. So in the language of Isaiah 40, that universe that we can't see the depths of, that has trillions of galaxies with trillions of stars, is like a drop in a bucket to God. And that God knows your name. And he knows this church's name. And he wants to be intimately involved in whatever you do. One story to close, George Mueller was traveling to speak in Quebec. He was going across the Atlantic. The boat he was on suddenly slowed down. And George went and talked to the captain to find out what was wrong. And the captain said, we have hit a fog bank. and uh, We've got to slow down. It's too dangerous. And George Mueller says, I'm scheduled to speak in Quebec tomorrow. I have to be there. In 57 years, I have never broken an engagement. I have to be there. And the captain said, well, sorry. Uh, You know, in in modern terminology, that ain't happening. George said, I have to be there. Let's go pray. Let's go down into the chart house and chart room and pray about this. The captain, who was not a believer at the time but became a believer as a result of this, said, "I don't know what lunatic asylum he came out of." That was what was in his mind as they went down to pray. They prayed. George prayed a very simple prayer that God would lift the fog. Then the captain was about to follow up and pray too, but the captain wasn't a believer, and George knew that. George's shoulder said, "No, don't pray." What? Well, because I know you don't believe, so that wouldn't do any good. And besides, I've already prayed, and in all the years I've walked with him, I have never failed to get an audience with the master. I'm sure he thought it was even a bigger lunatic asylum that George came out of. George told the captain, go back up on deck. You'll see the fog has lifted. He went up on deck. And the fog was gone. George made his engagement. And he said to that captain, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. That's where we need to be. Does that mean everything is going to go right for us? No. Does that mean that there are going to be not going to be circumstances we don't understand? That we're not going to experience tragedy? That we're going to be prosperous? That we're going to have everything we want? No. If you study the entire scripture, you'll know that's not the intent. But God wants you to know that he is a God who answers prayer. And he will answer your prayer. Maybe not always the way you want it, but he tells you, remember, I, as your Heavenly Father, love you. So ask and seek and knock. But remember, your focus needs to be outward. How will God be glorified? How will others be built up? Not." I need this for me. Because as I see it, that was the difference between A.A. Allen and George Mueller. One focused on himself and taught others to focus on themselves. One focused on others and taught others to focus on God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are indeed an awesome God, so awesome we can't even conceive how awesome you are. We know that you hold the universe in the palm of your hand, yet you know our names. Grant that we might be a people of prayer. Grant that this church might be a church that is characterized by prayer. And glorify yourself in us and through us, for we ask it in Jesus' name.